Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. How are you? I'm okay. Are you hungover? I had a couple drinks. I know you don't drink, and I don't drink either, but every once in a while I do drink. So even if I have a couple drinks... Yeah, I, I drink every fine. once in a while, and then you feel very tired the next day. Yeah. 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 There's a cost associated with it. But was it worth it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always, it's always, I, yeah. I, my attitude towards life in in the last decade has been there's no there is no like if you do a cost analysis on every experience, it's not really you're not really living. <laughs> it's <laughs> like there's no accountancy necessary. Okay, but um, was the night different because you drank? Mm, like, did oh, did you good. get a that's tattoo a or something? No, but that's getting drunk. That's drinking to get drunk, which I don't really do. Yeah. But uh, I like I enjoy certain the taste of certain alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 How are you? I'm good. Uh fine. This art fair week and then uh, Yes. I saw art a fair few, week. I saw a few art fairs and then I decided maybe it's that that, that cost analysis thing where Art fairs are problematic because they're cramped, so the the work doesn't uh, look great. Mm-hmm. And then living in New York, you can see solo shows all the time, like mm-hmm. all the time. So the the kind of the ideal presentation, usually even better than in a museum, because museums can be kind of too crowded. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really to me like you see the optimal version, and then you go to an art fair and you see like ten percent of what you see in a gallery show. Like you this see a few thing, works, yeah. so I really decided. I, I I always go to the art fairs thinking, oh, you run into people and that's good, but everybody's really busy, so uh, mm-hmm. you don't even talk that much. And then I made the cost analysis, and I was like, I don't think it makes sense for me to go to uh, to visit. So, it's for collectors, and I don't think it's for for me. But I remember when I was a younger artist, I would go just because it's like I don't even know what it is I'm getting myself into. You know, where the private art. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and if you're participating, if you're showing at that fair, then. But even mm-hmm. even that, uh, my gallery often said it's it, not good to stand by near your work because it's kind of awkward if people want to look at the work and you're there, or they might be talking <laughs> about it. So it's it's just right. bad. It, I think Chuck Close said something: artists should not visit art fairs the way cows should not visit the slaughterhouse. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I mean, I definitely, the only time I participated in the Armory Fair, uh, it, it was, I actually was sitting with my work, selling it out of like a, like a discount bin. <laughs> ah, yeah, you were selling pillows. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think like, it, it's funny because it's like the exact opposite. But I, then again, I was selling this stuff for like 20 bucks or whatever. It's yeah. like pretty stupid of me to do, but uh, And then people still funny. ask for a discount. Yeah, they still ask for a discount. I was reading, though, that um, this article with uh, uh, the owner of Team Gallery, Jose Frere, I think that's how, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, actually. Um, Frer. But he was, you know how, oh, okay. Frer. <laughs> There's, yeah, I'm missing that. Uh, but he was talking about how it's like, it's very hard to make money at fairs for galleries anymore anyway. Um, and so they're not really for, they used to kind of be for galleries and collectors, but collectors aren't really buying anymore. Like plenty of galleries. Well, the, I, I, I don't think that's exactly true. I, From I think, the fairs. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I think collectors do buy if there's a, like a friend of mine is an art advisor and he says like some artists, it's really hard to get to, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden, but it, the whole system benefits the, the upstarts and the big players and the 
people in the middle. So here's what happens: the yes, the unfairs, the unfairs, uh, and it it, it it all makes sense. It's not some evil plot that it, that like oh let's kill the middle tier, but it's all kind of logical. So if unfairs only show the established players, then it's kind of boring. It's less exciting. So you also want to show some young fresh stuff. So they give a discount to starting galleries. Mm-hmm. And then the big galleries are so important, that's why everybody goes, so they have to give right. them a discount. Like David Zwerner or something Yeah, like that. because if Zwerner's not at the fair, then the rest of the exhibitors are like, well, this fair is dead, we're going to go to another fair. Mm-hmm. So they have to give the huge ones a discount. So they operate mm-hmm. at, a, at a better... Um, they have an advantage there. So, the yeah, but basically the big players and the small players get a discount and the, the middle class pays the bill. It's very interesting, and uh, I guess it's the same in taxes, like especially in the U.S. They're like, let's give the rich a, a tax discount. Poor people mm-hmm. don't really pay taxes anyway, so the the middle class pays the bill. Mm-hmm. Well, they call it in uh, like in in business strategy. There are three types of players. There are gorillas, there are chimps, and there are monkeys. And the gorillas are like the dominant player in any category and in the art world there are like different categories i guess so maybe it would work as a comparison then like chimps are kind of like the second place they didn't win like the and and so they're trying to figure out a strategy like they're trying to specialize like bitforms might be a chimp right because they specialize in digital art but it's very difficult for them to do well uh, because like the gorilla is kind of like just eating the whole market and then the monkeys are like just like coming in and like sniping up opportunities like they're young they have nothing to lose and so they yeah, do their costs things. are much lower their costs are much lower yeah they can just yeah. like outmaneuver they can move around really quickly but I, I i must say that when you look at the big picture there's so many more mm-hmm. galleries than in 1960 so mm-hmm. the whole ecosystem grew a lot so you, yes. you could argue that art sales and the amount of uh, places where artists can show have grown a lot, so it's not like uh, the art world is is so terrible. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I was reading this article. I mean, I'm so and, tired of negative articles. It's just all the fucking time. Everything you're like, oh, I like this. <clears throat> no, actually, you have to feel guilty, and it's all evil, and <laughs> it's terrible, and it's like, no. no, you're right. Like, yeah, there there is this weird thing where people guilt the world for not buying more art. We even do it on this podcast, which I think is interesting because it's like. I always say, like, the art world's the only world where you blame the customer, where the customer is always wrong, and you blame them when they don't buy stuff that you, <laughs> you yeah. make. Yeah, there's an ideological uh, like, uh, <clears throat> yeah. imperative, and there's, like, a higher purpose. Yeah, like, zero other... I mean, and specifically, if you're talking about fairs, it is business at that point, right? So, And 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 they'll always... The gallerists will always try and say, well, that's not why I got into this. If, I, if it was about making money, I never would have gone into the arts as a gallerist. Well, like... Maybe you shouldn't have been a gallerist. Maybe you should have opened a museum <laughs> instead or something. But Yeah, it gets um, tricky because private- then museums need funding. And then if a big gallery can support a show, then it can happen. So then you see that artists that are with big well, galleries get to do more museum shows. I don't know. Then I would argue, like, then you re- probably should have become a stockbroker and given away your money to artists or something. Yeah. But, but, but generally, and, I, and I, it's not like I don't think that private gallerists give a lot, but they give less and less to their artists, and then they complain that the collectors aren't buying, and then, like... What do you mean they I give don't know, less and like, less? Like, if you think back to their original model, before before there were commercial galleries, artists were doing their own things anyway, right? They were kind of doing private commissions, they were self-operating. Yeah, but I, I think there were much fewer artists. 
Yeah, but then certain, I'm just saying, certain galleries came along and they started to support artists the same way, like, a production company supports a director, right? They that created still happens. But they would also, like, help fund. And That still I happens. Guess, I guess middle tier is still helping fund. I don't know. No, I think um, a, a lot of galleries pay for production of the work and some pay a stipend and the... Uh, yeah. Uh, it, this and um, I, I just don't have the data. I just anecdotally, I know that some of my friends mm-hmm. either uh, they have a very complicated production and the gallery pays half for everything, or they mm-hmm. the, the gallery's like, okay, you need to work on this for a year, so we'll give you a loan for a year. Or that right. that definitely happens. I, I'm, I'm a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It <clears throat> it's weird for me to everyone always predicting the end of the world. And then you look around, and it's like so many of my friends are full-time artists, and I don't think that was possible in 1970. Mm-hmm. And I hear stories of curators who worked with really famous uh, minimal and conceptual artists who were counting like their cents to see how many slices of bread they could buy that week. And mm-hmm. I think things are a lot easier now. So Okay, it, well, besides, yeah. besides that, that's really like it was supposed to be the setup to segue about <laughs> Instagram, which yeah, is what yeah, we're yeah. going to talk well, about Well, they're very tied together, so... Well, the re- yeah. So the segue that I wanted to make is that, that um, you know there is this tension. So the the art fair um, is selling less, but like more and more people are buying, or more collectors are buying directly off Instagram, which I think is an interesting uh, segue into yeah, just yeah, yeah. Instagram in general and how we behave as human beings. Well, my my thesis, but maybe we can talk a bit about um, we, we we can talk about the fundamentals of Instagram and then what it means for art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so and I wanted to talk about Instagram because it's another thing people love to hate and say, well, Instagram is censoring things and you can't show it's nudity. It's my favorite, favorite platform. Yeah. But, I mean, I but, will just but, say at the end, but, so, like, uh, I'm very positive about it. Uh, so, and, and ideologically, everybody always supports the open web, but uh, mm-hmm. realistically, people prefer convenience. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know. It, do you... I don't know how to articulate it exactly, but it seems like everyone is always against a lot of things, but then mm-hmm. they don't want to make an effort for the other. Like, okay, let's try and be let's try and be super positive about Instagram, and then no, there are I a mean bunch of it, there's just clear pros and cons. <laughs> but it, it I'm yeah, it, it, just talking about the history of image sharing. Yeah. So my mother's from Brazil, and she would want to send pictures to uh, our Brazilian family of the kids growing up back then. Doing a phone call costs, I don't know the equivalent in dollars, but maybe $5 a minute. So we would call mm-hmm. my grandma and we would all stand next to the phone and be like, Hi, grandma. Yes, everything's good. See you. And then the next kid and the next kid and the whole phone call, it would be like 25 bucks for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you want to talk about progress, there's some progress there. It, and then to send photos we would photocopy pictures on lightweight paper to save on it. It's not that we're poor or we were poor, but yeah. it was really expensive to share photos. So you, you would yeah. go and have them Xeroxed and they were very crude black and white on really thin, almost transparent paper in lightweight envelopes. That's the way you shared photos. So it, it's interesting for me that technology keeps removing friction. You know, this, like a, you know, this yeah. term. Yeah. And, um, at some point, you're like, how lazy can we get? But it really, when you look at the broader, when you look at a longer timeline, you're like, oh, yeah, that's really a lot better. Uh, th- th- yeah, and so you were doing like kind of a family newsletter thing. I don't know if you remember when that was a thing, like different members of my family would send, you're right, like a letter, 
because there's no email and like photos of their kids growing up uh, on yeah like inkjet printed I mean color no printing before like inkjet a, this is I'm talking about mid 80s like uh, oh, yeah. uh, um, I don't know when you were born but was it was it ASCII art that no 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 <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying was, you, you put yeah. you put six photos on the A4 Xerox copier and photo, photocopy those six photos you know yeah, just, yeah, yeah. and maybe even double sided and just making it work yeah. Um, but you're trying to connect with well, family. I'm, I'm <clears throat> you weren't. I want to talk about the 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 idea of removing friction. So first you had to shoot photos, have them developed. It was expensive, blah, blah, blah. Then I would scan photos and email them around. But you mm-hmm. had to crop them and make them really low res and high compression and et cetera. And at some point I had a web server so I could FTP images on there and send a link around Mm -hmm. and then Photoshop had this function where you could grab a folder and say generate a web album I don't know if you remember that Uh, yeah yeah I do remember so what it would do is it would take uh, 12 or 24 high res photos convert them to 800 by 600 or 320 by 240 whatever you wanted make one page with thumbnails and then it would make HTML pages for each photo and you could browse through a web album that way and you could FTP that web album to your web server. So first of all, you had to have a web server, which hardly anyone had. Then you had to know how to use FTP, um, etc. So way too hard for most people. Mm -hmm. I think the next step was Flickr. And so people started uploading photos and it would resize them for you and it would be shareable. But it was still like, take your camera. I think it wasn't even SD cards and you would plug it in with USB. It's just people would rarely do that. Like maybe artists would do that to upload their portfolio. But most people... I think like certain high-end photographers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was more professional realm. And, mm-hmm. so, and hobbyists, I guess. Yeah. And then after Flickr, Facebook came along and made it a lot easier but you still th- thought of albums. You you would still upload albums. Like this was my trip. These are my twenty four yeah, yeah. pictures. Like a hundred a hundred photos. Yeah, of, like and, you and, and the and, Eiffel Tower. And the one thing amateurs never do is edit. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly, we way too many pictures. And then Instagram comes along, and it's an app that's just dedicated to posting one photo at a time from your phone, not from the desktop, and like putting an SD card and all that stuff. And but one and one and one very important thing in the name Instantgram, yeah, right? Instagram yeah, yeah, yeah. was this idea that you would do it in the moment. In fact, you had to apologize if it wasn't uploaded right after. Yeah, you hashtag Latergram. Yeah, Latergram. Yeah. But so the, and and the whole idea was also to remove the professionality and not seeing photos as so precious, which is something Instagram is still fighting. They, they don't want it to be too professional so people feel... Um, Pressure. Yeah. Like, you don't want to feel self-conscious. You're just like, yeah, this is my mm-hmm. breakfast. I'm not a photographer, but I'm just sharing a moment. Um, mm-hmm. And so my whole point, what I'm trying to address is that uh, the open web is great and is great for a lot of things. But this instant image sharing without a barrier of embarrassment and without a technical barrier created a whole new kind of image web, like a whole parallel image protocol that is very instant, that really ideologically, you could make all this work in an open source context and you could do this all from the web and you could do this all with an open source app on an open source mobile platform. 
but nobody would do it. And so mm-hmm. th- th- when people criticize Instagram for being too closed or too of a, much of a walled garden or too mm-hmm. uh, constrained, I think that's the strength of it. So um, yeah, well, let me take one of the things that I you know that I used to think is negative, and then I, you know I was thinking about it um, recently, and I realized it's not. There's a reason why. Uh, it is the way it is. So, like, for example, you can't... It's very irritating, but you can't put, like, a link yeah, in a Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that so, type of okay, stuff. Okay, yeah. why, why can't you do that? Well, you can't do that because advertisers and spammers would other, would otherwise abuse the platform. Like, if you think of other sharing platforms that have gone through this problem, it's like, you know, YouTube and such, um, or Reddit or any community where, like, anyone can just post links randomly. A, it takes you out of the application experience. It takes you out of the photo feed. But B, it turns it into an advertising platform, basically. Mm. And it becomes a channel. That said, of course, they've integrated like all these, um, you know, advertising. Uh, there are now advertisements within your Instagram feed. Yeah, I find, yeah, yeah. You know, that, obviously they have to monetize their product. But um, yeah. that's where I think probably it gets a little bit more complicated, yeah. which is like they, they did stand idealistically, I think, for something that really resonated with people. It was the opposite of like Apple couldn't do it because they're like, you're right. They're super obsessed with professionalism and things looking great. And then this company comes along and says, that even if you have a shitty camera, we've got a filter that'll make it look kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of, the filters are kind of crass at first too. You're like sepia town. Like, well, I mean, my camera, you know, it's the, kind, yeah, of, it's kind the, of like a low yeah, yeah, res yeah, yeah. aspect. And, and, and those filters are not as necessary anymore. No, no. Yeah, it's true. No one, almost no one uses filters anymore. Um, I, I, but then and there's this other funny thing. Like, I, I, you probably shot lots of photos. You had a good digital SLR at some point that you took with you and, uh, yep. Maybe you were into Lightroom or Bridge or another software, and you would tweak some photos. I never adjust the contrast of photos if I shoot an album. I just, but when mm-hmm. I go on Instagram, I post. I don't do a filter, but it's so easy to just, okay, a little bit brightness. Let's up the contrast a little bit, oh, a little warmer. It, it, there's, it, it, I'm surprised that even the two of us as creative professionals, Photoshop is too much work to open for most things. <laughs> it's true. It's really exhausting. Yeah. Uh, even like adjusting those settings in Instagram can feel like, why am I even doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, so here's one thing I wanted to talk about, which is that like, you know, so while Instagram's doing all this stuff, another company comes along and they're like, you know what? That's kind. That's pretty instant. But the, there's still this this anxiety of getting the perfect picture and like, and you, you know, you, you, there was this tension around that still emerging. I don't want to and move so this, to just to, to that just yet. All like, right, all right. On the timeline, I just want to pause for a second because I want to talk about the impact of uh, Instagram at that moment and and how it. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. No, maybe we could talk about Snapchat as well. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. No, but well, we can double back. So, like, yeah. I think Snapchat is trying to you know it starts to talk about something else or or something like the next the next step uh, which is like it's not instant enough i mean we you should really be sharing and destroying in like you know on these 24-hour periods and they invent this concept of the story which at first i remember thinking stories were like i just didn't even understand it at first um it didn't immediately resonate with me. Like it took me actually some time because it was such a new idea. I, I know it sounds like a because well, everything yeah, has stories but now. But I, I do think it's interesting when you look f- from the the long historical point of view of like creating a pyramid that has to last as long as possible all the way down to mm-hmm. Snapchat. And so yeah. it's, yeah, it's the opposite of a monument. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's much more ephemeral media, right? Like, and the funny thing that for me was that it didn't originally initially resonate with me, even though my whole artistic practice has been <laughs> about built the on this concept about the moment in ephemera, uh, and that that's an art historical trajectory that goes back to the 1960s in performance art. I, I just think it's incredible that I didn't recognize it, that at it, first. It does seem like a lot of startups sound like conceptual artworks when you when you just summarize them. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, imagine, like Twitter yeah, is, no, no. is completely a conceptual artwork. It's like, oh, write down instructions and thoughts. That's right. And, and That's publish true. them on a tree for everyone to see. It's like, yeah. But what if the tree was connected to the network? Well, of course, and that's and what if the tree wasn't even material? It was a mental tree. Yes, that's what we want. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a Yoko Ono piece, Twitter. I think that's also why it's so hard for artists actually to engage meaningfully with these platforms critically, because the platforms themselves, yeah, they're, uh, they're, quite often, they're just participating in a Yoko Ono piece, right? Exactly. So, like, um, like the you know, even the Amelia Ullman example that you know would be most commonly cited on Instagram. She did her series of um, of just photos on Instagram. I mean, not just photos, but she performed for Instagram. In um, what was the piece, the the piece called Imperfections and Beauties? Ah. Anyway, I'll post it in the show notes. She was addressing but, uh, Instagram culture and and spoofing yeah. it. So she so she did a yeah a series of photos in character where she underwent cosmetic surgery and talked about like you know in sort of that body po- you know body positive like uh, well being kind of. Um, those tro- those tropes that emerged on Instagram initially, like so, in- Instagram did have this problem after that initial spark that you talked about, Raphael, which is that like certain tropes did start to emerge, like certain like lifestyle yeah. blogging um, styles of photography, like you know, an image of I, I laughed the other day because a friend posted an image of his cappuccino uh, on a wood you know, roughly, you know, reclaimed wood table. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm sure with AI, you could analyze how many other people took that photo. Yeah, but what starts to happen is the sociology. So the, you know, we often talk about how the software kind of, you know, the limitations or the contortions the software makes you perform, you know, kind of result in a certain aesthetic. But in this case, it was that, I don't know if that was the case. Like taking a photograph instantly um, kind of adapt, like adapted or changed the types of images we were sharing. And it reveals the human psyche. It re- reveals a hive mind and group behavior and jealousy and uh, yeah, it, it, like the different <clears throat> the different protocols or the the starting algorithms of of each startup dictate the tone of voice. Like Twitter mm-hmm. is a place to be angry, and Instagram is a place to share happy moments, even if you're not that happy, but you pretend and. There's also something interesting. The web page when that started, and if you look at GeoCities and all these things, it was clearly this is not life. This is a web page. Mm-hmm. So it, yes, I love cats, and I have a web page about my cats. Right. But you're it's not curated content. Yeah, but it's it's the visual structure is so far from reality that it doesn't make you feel like I'm standing in this person's life. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, this is this person's web page and is a completely separate thing from the person mm-hmm. but There's instagram like really of, feels like yeah. if i'm going through someone's instagram page i don't even call it or their account or their stream you're like oh i feel like i'm really getting to know the person when they can be faking it completely but it really feels different than visiting a geocities page where you yeah 
Yeah, well, some, so, but I'm sure you've noticed, uh, I've definitely noticed that, like, certain people's Instagram accounts have become, like, increasingly curated, and they'll even, like, you know, especially among artists, it'll be, like, It becomes a portfolio also. Yeah, exactly. So this kind of brings us back to, you know, the team gallery story that I was talking about, which is that... Uh, when I, so I was at an art event a, f- a couple weeks ago, like one, like an expense, you know, one of those expensive dinner things where, you know, everyone spent a thousand dollars to have to sit down at a table. That's a cheap and there's like dinner. an artist what at are you every talking table. About? <laughs> That's right. I know. I, in different circles, <laughs> yeah. different circles, different levels. Yeah. But like the there were a few collectors around me, and you know, the first question they asked me was not what's your website they asked me what's your instagram yeah, yeah. and Im- but that's and immediately like a, sh- a bolt went through me you know which is like oh god what did i just last post because i'm pretty careless on my instagram i know yeah you don't treat it as such it, but most artists uh, are like showing their studio and the, their exhibitions and things like but that. i feel so sleazy doing that i think because instagram for me anyway when i first started using it was this place where i could just be myself because <laughs> like my perf- my performance my persona was was on every other internet platform and i was like i just need one place oh yeah where i can you know, be i can be jeremy i can be i can be all of the jeremy's and, yeah. and no one will judge me in fact i've been i felt this tension so much recently that i even just like i, I started getting into stories and just like looking at the tropes that exist and just like playing with them a little bit but like i even just tried like you know, recording, making dinner. As yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's amazing like, how much is... people actually see everything. Like they really, every detail, every post. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. But what's a collector gonna do with my chili making? Well, I think <laughs> I think for collectors and art professionals, that the division between stories and posts is uh, helpful. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, like, so I was doing you know, posts pretty regularly. And then I started noticing I was doing less and less. And now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll give the, I think I'm going to give the art world my post section. (laughs) I'm not even going to post, maybe I won't even post tourist photos or maybe I'll post a few, but stories are now just going to be like pure, uh, me just doing ridiculous things and having fun. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like it it helps you to have a, a, a sort of briefing for yourself on how to approach that platform. Well, we've talked about this a bunch of times on the podcast, which is like the internet used to be fun as a self-expressive medium to explore your identity in a certain way, even when, because we were more advanced users, right? Like you're talking about having a web server and stuff, yeah. but you would post experiments, right? Like I would do that. And I wouldn't want each experiment to be considered like a, like a work of art or something or some, or for some reason for rating me higher or lower on some yeah, like yeah, list yeah. of world's best artists, yeah. right? But it, um, yeah, the rating thing is like, um, it's terrible, but it also makes it that people are more involved. If the if they, the rating system wasn't there, people would just post less. So, I think it's a really crude psychological mechanism that still has more benefits than downsides. Like if you would take away rating from Instagram, people would just post half as much. And you mean the like likes? Yeah, like you could you could yeah. remove ranking as a feature. And people mm-hmm. would just lose interest, I but, think. But that's what's great about stories, I've noticed, since I'm like using it more yeah, that's true. Uh, heavily, is that people comment. There's no ranking and there. Then, yeah, it's like the, the rank is someone responds with a chat and they engage you. But it, And um, then if we look at the timeline from monument to ephemeral, and of mm-hmm. course ephemeral imagery also existed a long time ago, but now there's this weird half-recorded ephemeral. Um, yeah. 
what I find interesting is that if someone asks, hey, what's your Instagram? It's almost like that Instagram is a living picture of you. And, and so we, we always think in art about art pieces, but then you start mm -hmm. thinking about streams. And so a stream is like yeah, exactly. a living being that it, you can't go back and you have to follow. And so so yeah. if you show someone's Instagram account and you look at it later on, you, and if you look at the individual photos, you're like, that's not interesting. But it's really interesting mm -hmm. as a stream. And so it's very hard, I think, historically to place that. Like if someone has a great stream, but the individual photos are not interesting, that's really yeah, hard to place later. You remember that movie Boyhood that came out a few years ago? Yeah, I didn't see you know, it, but I know oh, you didn't, the story. Yeah, you know, it starts with the, the boy being born all the way up until he's like 13. They actually like made the movie while the boy was growing up and stuff. But what I enjoy doing on all these platforms, and it's funny because, you know, you mentioned Facebook earlier. People would just by default upload everything to it. Um, but now if you go on someone's Facebook, there's like one photo a year. Yeah, <laughs> there's like some photo from 1992. Yeah, yeah like whenever uh, someone puts in a friend request, one of the first things I do, I'm just going to admit it on the air, is I, I troll back through their entire photo history. Like I want to, I get so much joy, almost like some kind of like a... I don't know, like an alien species just sucking up the souls of human beings. But like, <laughs> I'm just like looking through their whole progress and their whole life as one continuous their whole like, downfall. Well, it's not. It's definitely not downfall. It's definitely like it's so great to see it in series that way. It's like the long zoom, but for a life. Yeah, you know. But and, yeah, it is yeah. interesting that maybe I was always taught in art school to think about presentation and to think about okay you you made a bunch of stuff this year but what should you show and what makes sense together this idea of the exhibition i i always say this thing that it, the internet is like a waterfall and exhibitions are like aquariums so you mm -hmm. place things carefully and they're more still but it maybe more and more it, you start to wonder does it still make sense to freeze things if is it fine that everything's streaming well, yeah, you're dead. We're, like I in the mid, like when I was emerging as an internet artist, and I met you and people like that. I had this like slogan, which was "I will make more artwork of less value faster." Yeah, and the idea was like I will participate in the waterfall or the stream, right? Like I will to exist is to act. Yeah, it, to, it's like, it's like throwing splashes of color into a moving river, and it like, briefly yeah. shows up, and then it yeah. And we're all part of like, in my mind at that time, and I still kind of believe this, we're all part of like this one collective artwork, um, this one sort of collective human action. But the thing that contradicts it is that <clears throat> what people still really love is pictures of very permanent things in the stream. So like mm -hmm. maybe they're in front of the, the Jeff Koons Bilbao giant puppy flower thing, <laughs> you know, like... I always that get sort sad of physical when I see that, that so. sort of physical anchor and uh, or <clears throat> maybe they're at a Skrillex concert or whatever but like a big yeah. physical thing it, it <clears throat> what I mean is the early web was a lot of uh, animated gifs and, and th very non-physical things but what on Instagram it's all about bringing those very impressive physical physical things and then sharing them and it Mm -hmm. They might be photoshopped, but do you know what I mean? It's more like injecting no, no, real no, no, life yeah. into the stream than uh, purely energy-based experiments. Yeah, I mean, but you know the, what you're also talking about there is um, this idea that 
people want to assert that they they were there are these index moments, yeah, right? Like yeah, I was in front of the Mona Lisa. I was in front of the I was Eiffel in front Tower. of the Chicago Bee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, but what I some people say, you know, and I even just said a second ago that kind of makes me sad. But at the same time, it's this in my mind, this people searching for a collective experience. You know, like so. Yeah, yeah. I participated in what it is to be a human. Yeah. The way being human has been defined by tropes. Well, that's exactly. Ultimately. That's where the that's coffee exactly cup comes where, in. Exactly where, like, an old grumpy person will see teenagers doing selfies on snapchat and think of that as as stupid but Mm -hmm. yeah this cup of tea is more fun if i drink it and and other people experience it and they're like oh that's a really great yeah i love this tea why don't you try this one and this one and Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the thing that's weird maybe for older people is like well why don't you just get together and have tea why do you have to have that phone in between all of you yeah i mean i think that's it it's a it's a it's a good question and i know that um i read a study study a few years ago that younger um younger millennials and pre-millennials like generation y were were shunning sort of face you know because facebook has this huge demographic shift away from it almost no one under 25 uh is engaging with that platform anymore they have this this huge problem it's mostly becoming like a seniors platform Mm -hmm. uh which you never would have anticipated (laughs) in its inception (laughs) uh like I definitely see the feature of well, Facebook. Well, they made that chat app for, for pre-teens, like eight-year-olds or something. <laughs> <laughs> but in, like, in 20 years, uh, all of the people that were the first to sign up for Facebook will be in their 50s and 60s. And so you're going to end up... It will become a senior citizens <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of community yeah. platform. I, I, I do think senior citizens have higher click-through rate because they, they can't tell what ads are. So it's a profitable area. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my mom is still confused about how comments work on the internet. She'll still say really out of context. I know, things. like someone will comment on a on a movie trailer. Jeremy, I brought some wine. Uh, do you want anything else? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, just like bringing it back, bringing things back to what we were talking about originally, and maybe even looping back, you know, fairs back in. So fairs started to become these places where people could. Uh, there were these. There are these um, moments that were captured on Instagram, but the fair started to like cr- try and create the circumstances by which their booths would get yeah. Instagram yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. And typically you're right. It would be to create this like selfie index moment. And in some crass cases, it'd be like reflective. The, whatever it was would be like something that you could have your reflection captured in or like, Better yet, your reflection with text over top of, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Well, <laughs> if, if, if we talk about the genre of Instagram art, like, <clears throat> yeah, uh, Yayoi Kusama made this uh, infinity yes. room in the in the 60s, 70s. She has, a, she has a big show in Toronto right now. Which is which is a not too big of a room, but all the walls are mirrors, and you stand in the middle of it, and everything's reflected, and she puts lots of lights or dots or, uh, dots or c- colorful sculptures, and so you're in yeah. a very colorful, infinite space. And it really is the perfect Instagram space. So, um, you story can- there, though, just for a second. Yeah. Like the first time I saw one of her works, I sat in the room for like ten or fifteen minutes. But right now, there's this, you know, the touring show. That oh yeah, you get to stay world. for thirty Whereas seconds. Yeah. You're only allowed in for thirty seconds. Yeah. So, it, in fact, everyone just says it's just enough time to take an Instagram photo, and then you have to get out. Yeah. But one of the installations doesn't have doesn't allow cameras. And there's no line for it, and you can stay as long as you like. Mm. 
But what's interesting to me, and that's maybe the same when people say, oh, the open web is dying because of apps, and oh, mm -hmm. serious art is dying because of Instagram art. And mm -hmm. I always wonder if it, empirically that's true. Like, is the use of the open web being reduced, or, or is the, the, the closed app ecosystem just on top of that? But there's still a lot of people using the open web as well, and there's still a lot of conceptual art, and there's still a lot of serious non-Instagram yeah. exhibitions. But on top of that, there's this whole new genre that seems intimidating to people because they're scared of uh, that. Yeah, approach. well, that's why I don't think it's very interesting to talk about positive or negative, but instead to think about the psychology that's at play. So, like, I look at everything through the lens of, of video art history. And, and, you know, when the first consumer video camera came out in 1968, the Sony Portapack, that was like Instagram for its time because, like, you could record video in real time. And play it back. And the quality right after you was, recorded it. was terrible compared to 70 millimeter. Sure. Yeah, it was like a great Instagram filter. But you didn't have to send the film off to get processed and all that stuff. Like you were talking about But earlier, I'm sure the all those, the cinephiles immediately said, oh, the quality is so <laughs> terrible. How can we allow that? Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. But what artists started to experiment with that in, in, that, in that time was like the self-reflection of being a part of this immediate, this me the media, right, in terms of television and video. And, you know, they started to perform themselves, the self, right, in, in early artworks. And, and then, but then really interesting, fight against it. You know, and, and this is where I think, like, we're going through a period on Instagram right now, which, and on all these platforms, but I think Instagram is probably the place where it's most interesting, where it's actually changing and most people are not recognizing what's so exciting about it, which is that no longer can you post that coffee cup really and get away with it. Like, I think we've achieved like peak trope on the platform. And now, like, if you look at how people are using stories, there's like, what, what is, what's built into like the stories area of the application? There's like, there's like a, a pen. There's like, you can add filters to your face. You can like, like it's very expressive. Um, and I'm still reminded of this call I had with Snapchat, um, where the, you know, this recruiting call at one point where they were talking to me about like what they saw as the future, um, which was this like, idea of immediate self-expression with software. Yeah. And, and without, without the pressure of permanence. Without the pressure of permanence that you would just like, remember you were saying about a bunch of old people getting around a table. They're like, uh, yes, that is the future. A bunch of people will get around a table. Just happens that table's digital. And they'll have a, th a hilarious conversation where one, you know, where they'll they'll talk about unicorns and all pretend to be a unicorn for a second, and then they'll they'll write on each other's faces or they'll make a joke, and anyway, they'll just remediate themselves. And this is like, I like I don't know why people are so negative about it, and millennials being narcissists because it's the exact opposite. It's the yeah. most politically I, wonderful I do, thing. I do think that there is a psychological risk of. Um, I think I mentioned this before, David Foster Wallace, the Infinite Jest, he talks about, uh, and this book was written in the 90s, but he talks about people getting addicted to video calls and there's this face enhancement feature which makes you more handsome. Yeah, you can do that on Zoom, yeah. one of the like business video platforms. Well, but he, he was predicting this uh, before it existed and people got addicted yeah. to it and they got scared to go outside because they don't look as good as they do with the filters. So... <laughs> Uh, this is not without risk. <laughs> that, right. What I'm saying is, this is not without risk. Yeah. The, the, there is a risk if 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 um, one of the things you can do online is just shut people out if you don't like them, which is hard. Mm -hmm. You know, like going to high school, you're just 
in a room with 30 people and some will be mean to you and some will be nice to you and you learn yeah. to deal with that and that makes you stronger and and more um, more able to deal with stress and un unexpected things and so if you have a very controlled environment where everything's always exactly the way you want it it's going to be hard mm -hmm. to get out of your shell and deal with the risk taking and and uh, create organizations and work with lots of people and I just think on the opposite end of the spectrum, like for those that are, you know, potentially of a different personality type where they feel like the world has or from a different identity or background where the world has boxed them in and told them they are a certain way and they're going to be judged a certain way. The Internet had all, you know, always had this hopeful promise of allowing you to express yourself without those limitations. Now, I know it's complicated and that's not totally possible, but like as an example, I'll cite, I don't know, um, and this is maybe where censorship stuff comes in and it's kind of interesting to talk about, but like Cindy Sherman, as an example, her Instagram feed was locked down for forever. There's this mysterious uh, feed and then she unlocked it like two or three years worth of Instagram posts. This was last year, right? I think we talked about it on the podcast mm -hmm. previously. Um, and you and know, she there was these, the like, selfie artist already. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she had already made a career out of doing this, but she was still doing it for herself. Like this, this idea that the that sticking your tongue out at the mirror is a bad thing. I think is wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like it, it's actually like it's it's the same reason you wave at a camera. You like this acknowledgement that I am here. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm here alone in this world and I want to connect with others. But in doing so, I need to see myself connecting with others. It's kind of like self being outside of oneself and inside oneself at the same time. It's kind of like recursive loop of identity. It's just like it can be really beautiful. The time it's not beautiful is when you don't stick your tongue out. It's when you try and smile when you're upset or like when you conform to the model or expectation of someone else like you know, you wear a business suit because you think that's going to get you promoted or whatever. Um, I just find it really fun and exciting. I like, cause you said like, let's start on a positive note. I just think it like these platforms are very positive in ways that um, we don't well, fully yeah, appreciate. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, um, I mean, it, there's, there's often the, the school of thought that if you're a user, you're being used in, mm -hmm, in software. Right. Like if you don't have root access and so misuse the tool. Yeah, yeah. but on the, yeah, at the same time, when you make a platform that's easy to use, a lot more people can participate. Yeah, that's right. The the general rule for for any platform over time and for any new technology is it, it comes out for early adopters, super complex. There's like tons of ways to customize everything and like it, the early adopters demand even more customization. And then like over time, products have to get more simple if they're going to attract a larger yeah. and larger and audience, right? I think there's an interesting parallel here with internet art and post-internet art that mm -hmm. um, internet art came along when it was still kind of hard to share uh, any traditional media on the web. That, that thing I talked about, like making a website and FTP and all that stuff was really mm -hmm. hard. So it made more sense to make web pages mm -hmm. as art pieces. But then... As time went along, uh, artists got older, they got more budgets to make things, but they also realized that sharing an impressive physical work on the internet was more powerful than sharing a, a digitally native web page or animated GIF. It, so it's even more 
if you just measure the likes, like uh, even for me, if I share a work that's a big exhibition, it gets more mm -hmm. pre appreciation than if I show a sketch animation that's a purely digital moving image. Um, mm. So, what I, but the other thing I'm trying to say is that so the web was more nerdy and complicated, and so mm -hmm. the art that was coming out of it was also more nerdy yeah. and, and complicated. And the same way Instagram is more user-friendly, post-internet art is more user-friendly for exhibition spaces. It's easier to install, uh, it, it hangs, it's easier to sell, all those things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it, there's a really clear parallel for me. Mm. It's almost like an Instagram facilitated or created uh, post-internet art. And, and it's through this, like, I... Instagram ends up closing the loop in, a, in terms and of the maybe, maybe, maybe in the sense that internet artists would have felt weird to move to physical works if there hadn't been a way to share it online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting way of thinking about things. And ultimately, if, like, if the trajectory is towards <clears throat> near continuous um, mediation, that is to say, like, there will be no distinction between screen and real space. Yeah, and no, no distinction that, between process and, and result. Yeah, exactly. Then, you know, the likelihood that all art, and, you know, this is the argument that post-internet makes, is post-internet art, or all art is internet art, um, yeah. becomes more and more likely. Yeah. It's just in a very, like, kind of kludgy place right now by comparison to, I What's think... What's kludgy? Well, kludgy as in, like, <clears throat> there are steps that you can see involved, right? There, there are there are distinct separations. But what does the but word those kludgy separations, mean? Kludgy means just clunky. Okay. Like, like kind of cobbled together by people who are... And this is usually something that happens in an early, you know, as an early indicator of what might be designed next, but where, where people are taking different solutions that don't belong together and kind of like mashing them together to make, like hack a solution. I'm often, though, reminded that artists, the best artists, you know, don't aren't used by... You know, the users aren't used by the tools. Um, they misuse the tool, like, or the machine, if you want to use uh, like kind of Marxist language, to create something that is of their own intent, right? Which is what you're yeah. kind of talking about with Postmodernism. But, as well. but it, there's also that thing where, uh, of course, not every artist, their primary medium is photography. So you would think Instagram is not the ideal platform. But because mm -hmm. the, the whole presentation is so uniform, it's still, it works for a performance artist, it works for a sound artist, it works for a software artist. And if I meet someone briefly and they talk about their work, it's, I, I don't know, I guess some people don't fit in Instagram that well, but most people do. And it, it gives you such a quick, just a glance, and then the conversation is much more interesting when you talk. Mm -hmm. You know that, that problem when you're like, Oh, uh, oh! You're an artist. What do you make? Do you paint? It's like no, I make sort of generative, colorful, single-serving websites. And, and, you know that's hard to understand. Mm -hmm. And if you just show three images, they're immediately like, oh, okay, yeah. And then the conversation is much more interesting after that. You don't have to explain everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, so here's where I don't know if you want to talk about this, but. <clears throat> Maybe we can put a positive spin on it. Where and we? No, no, I'm not against the uh, critiquing it, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, no. But I just think it's interesting because <clears throat> if that's the case, so we're going to accept. So we've established that all human expression might actually 
funnel through a piece of software, right? Mm. Like that our human existence and expression just like in its well, immediate ephemeral form yeah, I mean, will stream through a platform. Just like most now, human it, expression is funneled through language, which is also a technology. Yes. Okay. So if we're going to accept that, then as human societies have accepted previously, the terms and conditions to which we agree, um, that is to say what belongs or what behaviors are permitted um, as expression becomes an interesting topic for conversation. So, you know, the cliche example, of course, uh, which is a, a, like a very legitimate uh, uh, example, especially if you're a woman on Instagram, is like that uh, forms of female nudity are less acceptable than forms of male nudity. But that has little to um, do with the, the software protocol, but just with their laws, like you, women can't be topless mm-hmm. at the beach, except in the Netherlands, of course, but... No, in Canada they can too. Oh, okay. Like, so I, I would think that they would just sort of, those software uh, terms and conditions kind of mirror existing laws. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that the internet sort of uh, in its original inception as this as the new pipe for human expression, where like maybe television was previously and newspapers were before that or photography, um, what proposed that you could express yourself beyond... The the express you know expressive palette you had the in Burning the physical Man realm. Yeah, exactly. Like so, you you could like you could it was more extendable, if you will. This, this right? friend of mine so, went to Burning Man. He told me this story. He's like, yeah, I, I I'm all for radical lifestyles, and but I really realized that we need clothing because you get way too horny if you're at the office and everybody's naked. It doesn't work. There's a reason. That, yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah, men have a problem generally. So. um and that they make that everyone else's problem. So, uh, but all I'm saying is, it's not just that, right? Like there was the case recently of uh, of a poem, there's specifically like this "I Want a Dyke for President" uh, poem by Zoe uh, Leonard. I don't know if you remember that. It's like a 1992 poem. It's kind of like famous poem that was posted on Instagram, um, you know, in, in recent months, and then taken down uh, because. Uh, you know, they, the word dyke was in there, right? <laughs> and even though it's being, it's owned and being, you know, it's being used by, uh, reappropriated by the, the, the person. The way that I would see that is Instagram is a glance. And I would say mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, people of all kinds of, uh, and you just show a glance and then you have to lure people to your own platform. So there are porn stars on, on Instagram. They can't show nudity, but the, it's clear like, oh, come to my web shop and then you can see everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the, if if you're someone who wants to do hate speech, just just hint at it, and then say if you want the full hate, just come to my website. <laughs> but yeah, but then they make as I talked about earlier, you can't have links in your no, you can have a link in your bio, and then it, it, I think Instagram is not an, an an end place where you really get to know everything. It's a glance. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to share radical politics, then just hint at it and say like, come. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a good point, but the the point I'm trying to make is that like after, if that's what it is today, what is it tomorrow? And if tomorrow it's like a pair of glasses, <clears throat> right? And Snap wants to be in the glasses business, so does Snap. Um, Instagram, so does um, a bunch of other companies. I was talking to another company this week who wants to do that. It's like <clears throat> if we're all just heading towards this augmented reality future, where you don't have a choice of what's. It's not a glance. It's just everything you experience. At some point, we have to resolve this as a society. So, so you're saying if if an app, a single app, becomes 
you're a complete layer of uh, a layer over reality all the time. Yeah, and then the I think it's interesting if you just look at recent. I, I think uh, there's a danger with extrapolating. History. Like back in the day, people thought, "Oh, Microsoft is going to decide everything," and then yeah, and yeah, right yeah, now yeah. it but seems like just, Amazon is going to decide everything. Sure. And previously, we thought Facebook even just a couple years ago. But for that reason, I just want to provide one Facebook example, which is like in Europe, you have a right to send Facebook a message and say like, hey, I want to see every piece of data you've collected on me. In fact, you can do that to any, uh, any, any company, that, software company, you can ask for your data, right? That's European law, right? However, you know, that's retroactive like rights, right? Rights over the data you've collected about me. That is rights ab- over everything I've put into your platform. However, if, the, if software is moving not towards, like you said, the monument, but towards the sort of the you know the top of the pyramid or the ephemeral or the you know the living, then what are your rights to the moment? Like what are your rights in a moment? Right. Like I, I, the thing when when you say all this, it always seems that people figure out a way. Like oh, Instagram's really strict. Let's go to Tumblr. Oh, Tumblr's kind of weird. It, it it doesn't seem like much of a problem it, to me. If you want to find mm-hmm. a weird space, like people know to go to 4chan. It's not like 4chan is hurting, like they don't have any traffic. If you want, if you want like <laughs> disgusting content, right. you go to 4chan or you go to Reddit. It's not that hard. Okay. And and like it, Instagram is a clean place with lots of cappuccino photos. Yeah, that's that's the whole design of the product. They want to be the happy place. And mm-hmm. YouTube uh, is trying to be a safe place for kids, and it's hard, and then people game it. But they're always yeah. going to try to be on the safe side. And there will be another platform for. Okay, I like it. So I I like what you're saying, which is that like there's space probably in the near future for a platform, and maybe it already exists, like a Snapchat, for people to be themselves, who no matter who they are, no matter what their political leanings are. um, No, especially if their political leanings are extreme, they will find places to get together. Yeah, to to express themselves without uh, censorship. Yeah, but you know, I I think we had to bring up the censorship issue because it's so much about what. Yeah, but what for, for me, it's it's like complaining. Oh, I I went to the airport and I wanted to take my top off and I was censored. It's like yeah, if you go to Bergheim, you won't get censored. But if you go to the airport, yeah, but you're using an extreme example, and there are lots of like less extreme examples, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like pubic hair or. You know, well, to, like, to me, it's always interesting. I, I do think it's interesting to look at society's uh, limits and see why they are there and, mm-hmm. and test them. But it's not so interesting to, to go to the safest place and say, hey, there are limits here. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, this, it's, an old, it's an old debate and we keep coming back to it because I can think back several years to when Petra Collins kind of was doing stuff on Instagram and with just period blood and having that uh, censored. Uh, and you know, it seems like it's not going anywhere. That's the only point I'm trying to make is like, it keeps coming back and I think it keeps coming back because, um, it's of vital importance to people that they yeah, know that if, if these platforms, dominate, but it's also interesting if someone started, uh, a sharing platform for extreme views or for nudity or, or whatever, and people would do stuff there. Apparently there's something about if you make a safe place where you kind of adhere to regular norms that you have on, on, the, on the street. Like, if you walk mm-hmm. around in a, in a city center, busy city center, and you're smearing period blood on your face, that's mm-hmm. going to offend people and, and sort of weird them out and make them scared. But if you, if yeah, you but do like that... In a, 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 no, no, what I'm saying is, if you're doing that same thing 
in a venue for art performance, nobody's shocked. And so the, for yeah, me, like, Instagram like, is just, yeah. it's the mall. And there are other places that are like a punk rock performance uh, area. And, and, you know. But you made, a, you made a really good point earlier, which I'm just going to like reappropriate, which is that uh, uh, the post-internet point, which is if the, if the lines blur and if, if it's circular, then society should care about this stuff. Like ultimately... You know, in you know, forty years ago, if it was two men holding hands, Instagram would have a problem with that, right? And I think that's why people are like engaged with it because yeah, we're yeah, in a but, very but, political time. Yeah, yeah, but I think looking at Instagram's rules is is just um, is kind of useless. It, you're looking more at like the acceptance of homosexuality and not at the acceptance of homosexuality in Instagram. Yeah, okay, I think you're making a good point, which is that it's naive of me to think that these companies, these private companies, would ever lead us socially, that yeah, it has to start yeah. in our place in society locally. However, these companies have helped create a more global understanding of culture, which we talk about all the time on this podcast, and therefore, our, the way, the place those conversations are happening is actually on these platforms. This is what got Facebook in, into so much trouble, right? <laughs> you know, where it's like, create certain kinds of algorithms kind of intervene and create certain bubbles. And then people believe their political views are universal and then they're not. Anyway, it's probably, it's a very messy topic for us to, you know, maybe discuss another day or on. You know what my biggest problem is with Instagram? uh, It's too small physically. (laughs) It's so small. No, not even zooming in. It's like, if you're used to art magazines or even fashion magazines and the idea of a spread it's like maybe the size yeah. of an IMAX screen. That's a mm-hmm. spread. That's like a glorious large image with a lot but of it's impact. It's limited by your phone size. I know. Right? Yeah, but they could also make an iPad app or a web app. But most photos are just not that high res, and they don't want to be too precious. So it's it's not the place. For, I understand, but it is interesting but, that we absorb uh, visual arts on a screen that's maybe. What is it? It's like three inches wide. So it's like a three true, three by true. three inch image. It's like postcards. Basically. No, it's way smaller than a postcard. Like, Business hold card? your phone in your hand and look at a square, the maximum square on that. And then hold, hold, that, next, four by hold that next to a magazine and then see how small that is. Yeah, but I'm just thinking Polaroids and No, four this by is six, smaller than Polaroid. Uh, this is way smaller. And what I'm saying yeah. is if people form their opinion of artworks, the artworks that work are the artworks that work sort of as, as mm-hmm. icons, as like a little app icon that size. Like, I see, as and, abstractions. And, of, and of if you look yeah. at an art, but maybe this problem has always existed. Like an artist like Agnes Martin, it's really hard to capture that work because there's so many subtleties in very thin paint. and uh, yeah. So she's always had that problem where if you see an installation shot of a group show and Ellsworth Kelly pops much more than an Agnes Martin in, in it. And so this problem gets even worse in a on the phone size square image. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about when we were talking about Instagram art at fairs. Um, yeah. Or yeah. even when a collector asks to see your work on Instagram, they're gonna and they're and they're buying work off of Instagram. The gallery is selling it yeah, off that, of Instagram. That part is not so weird to me. So uh, uh, the way because of PDF, because of PDF culture. No, like no, most no. People, maybe but, uh, not all our listeners know that most artists sold as a PDF document with thumbnails. Well, not only that, it's also often uh, shipped and never seen. But uh, um, it, part of it is also that you might see an exhibition of an artist and be familiar with their approach to the material, 
And then if That's you see true. the next work in the series, you're like, okay, I want that one. I don't think people buy it without ever having seen anything of the artist. And that's maybe where art fairs are useful because they can see like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you only have to see a few. Like if you've seen a few Warhols, you haven't seen everyone, but there might be one that is your favorite <laughs> right. and it's going to be, it's not going to be that different in, in, in its realization as the other ones. So it's the same if you're buying jeans. You've seen them in the store. You can make a decision exactly. about to buy them online. But the, 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 the size thing is funny because there's the same thing that you can have a crush on someone online and it turns out the, the physical appearance in real life was not all you thought it would be. And the, and hey, don't kill people's dreams about it. Yeah. <laughs> and the same could happen for artwork. So you fall in love with an artwork on Instagram and it's tiny and then you see it in real life. You're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. But this this yeah. this physical size, I understand that it's uh, convenience wins all the time, but uh, that's kind of a bummer for me. Size thing doesn't exist though. If you just like follow uh, my little uh, my my technological trajectory to a screen that is the like we've talked about um, the glasses are not happening. I don't know before. if you got the newsflash, but they're not happening. It, I, I, I guarantee you that some form of it will happen that you won't. It already it, exists. It AI already exists. It's it's the podcast. That's the thing. It's the stupid thing that people are like investing bazillions into VR and AR, and everyone's walking around <laughs> with podcasts, and that's the layer on top of reality. Audio is it? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't disagree with mm. you. I just. I, I. There's too much money invested for it not to somewhat become a thing it, it won't be by the way in the next 10 years maybe it'll be 20 i don't believe in technology like where predict. they say this is going to be really cool someday because it, it, things are immediately cool like podcasts are cool and they they're spreading and nobody talks about it, nobody invests in it it just happens that's true you should really be on the podcast promotion panel <laughs> no but no, i i, I think podcasts are, and, and the same way instagram is already ar because you're walking around the fair and you you yeah. there's a hashtag for the fair and then you're like oh independent fair what's going on and then you're like oh on floor five i should go there okay ah that's interesting yeah. so that it, it, but scale does scale does matter hugely in art I, 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 the only thing i was just getting at was that i think like they've decided on the phone as a form factor is not the scale is settled they're not. It's not going to change. Yeah, there's nothing uh, we can the do about it. The only thing that yeah. that's that's. I it. mean, one it's thing. Like one done. thing they could do is make the 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 web part of Instagram with bigger images. I think they don't do it because uh, images look much better when they're smaller. If it's not shot with a uh, SLR. Yeah, you can use 500 pixels if you're into. That's the alternative to Instagram for those that. Well, that like name already images. implies it's pretty low res. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's the name. It's a, it's like a Toronto area startup, but they have a huge community of the more that prosumer Flickr group that you talked about existing previously. They all just migrated okay. to this platform called Five Hundred Pixels. But it's not just Five Hundred. There's like a long. T- no, it's like full screen, like yeah. high res. You can like look yeah, at raw because it's it's funny uh, with all the marketing of uh, cell phone cameras being great, and they they look great at Instagram size. But every time I look at a photo. They, whenever a new uh, camera or um, phone camera comes out, I'll go to the Flickr page and look at those images full size, and then you're like, "Hmm, not that great." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I'd love. You know, I Flickr mean, has that it, camera finder thing where you can just because in the metadata of each photo, they know which camera was used, so you can just browse by camera type on Flickr. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah. That's cool. So I, I don't know. There's probably more to talk about on Instagram, but we're kind of at time. Yep. 
Um, our good point seems to be, I don't know, this is one of those ones where we didn't really get to a single good point. I think there's this pet peeve of mine, maybe coming, I always say this, but maybe coming from punk and metal, where there's a lot of provocative bands with shocking lyrics, and nobody's shocked. Because you're, you're in a room where everybody's all the time like the devil, and you're going to die, and I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> and, then, right. and then you go to, in odd context, or even in mainstream context, and you say like, poop. And everybody's like, oh my God, we got to re- readjust everything and uh, everybody's hurt. And we're so, so to me, yeah. when people try to show a nipple on Instagram and then they are outraged, it's, it's true. so funny. By talking about that, we're missing the point, which is that most people are following like, you know, puppy uh, and kitten accounts there on is, Instagram. Yeah, there is something <laughs> I want to talk about more about Instagram. It's like, what do you, okay. what do you like following? Because it, it, there's, yeah. there's different categories of like friends, family. Artists yeah. you do know, artists you don't know, musicians, films, brands, and, and it's it, yeah. like from personal to less personal. So I use it the way it was originally intended, which is like, I just follow, I, I follow friends and family, artists I admire, and then a few like weird blogger people, just because I'm interested in the aesthetics stuff that we were talking about earlier. Like what, you know, what are, what are the lifestyle people yeah, doing? Yeah. But what about you? Well, I think I, I go on and off with like following lots of people and then narrowing it down because it's it's highly addictive. You're grooming that list all the yeah, time. Yeah, kind of. But um, I think I, the the thing I like about it the most is following artists I know as sort of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hate to admit it, but there is a competitive element to art. So you're always like, oh, what are they doing? What's their next move? And what what did they come up with? And um, mm-hmm. So there's that aspect. And then seeing, I think for friends and family, it's more WhatsApp at this point. It's, it's way more private. Like our family has a WhatsApp group and we share photos there. And you don't have that risk of like sharing the photo with too many people and uh, showing yeah. baby photos, which most people don't care about. So yeah. Yeah. It, it, for me, Instagram became more of a, an art world thing than a personal thing. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, though, like I said, I don't give a shit if you like my feed or not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, that's my place uh, to do whatever the hell I want. Uh, I am like much more Raphael Rosendahl on <laughs> Instagram <laughs> towards my attitude towards life. Yeah. Uh, but that's m- my broadcast. As for following, yeah, like I just do whatever the hell I want. Um, should we get to the field recording for the week? Um, yeah, I guess I wanted to talk more about the user and addiction and all that. But maybe we can do a, an episode about user addiction like it yeah like there's instagram as this i we one thing i didn't mention is instagram invented the um this the the perpetual feed right like the um feed that popular this the infinite scroll Mm. right Mm. um and that was a technological breakthrough that they made uh that made that permissible with a very very small team of people you know when they were acquired they also set records for being the smallest company ever required for the like most amount yeah, of money. Yeah, it was like, like 11 people for... working and it was acquired for a billion. Yeah, so I always love using it as a company that managed to like take a very simple insight about the world, optimize for that one specific need, not overcomplicate it and figure out like the one thing that trigger that would make it addictive, which is this idea that it never ended, this endless stream that we talked a little bit about earlier. 
Um, and then they turn that into like a $12 billion kind of you know opportunity or whatever. Now, the money is not what's that interesting about it. We've been talking mostly about the culture, but it is interesting that just like 12 people well, created something that's so The, the value is, is really tied to the attention that it gets. So when you think about 12 people creating a platform that is seen much more than any TV channel ever, that's yeah. what's interesting. Not the money, but the fact that people look at it all the time. Oh yeah, that it's also the fastest growing platform on the on the internet. That there are more yeah. people and it, 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 on it, it, it because it's visual. There's less uh, and because there's no outside links, it makes it a happier yeah. place. Yeah, it's it, that is very unique about it versus other platforms. Because the, the internet um, became so political. And the other thing we didn't talk about is that it's it's becoming more and more of a video platform um, than a photo platform, or maybe a mix. A mixed I remember media when video came though. along and everyone was upset. Oh no, Instagram used to be so beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Right, right. I, oh, I, I mean, when stories uh, <laughs> came along, I was immediately like, "Oh, is there an option to turn this off?" But uh, yeah. And now you're doing stories. I don't or, know. Are you checking them? I, I I look at I all like the stories, watching but stories. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay. okay. Instagram. There you go, people. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> Find us. Yeah, we have a field recording this week from Mitch uh, McGoey, Uh And he says, yeah, I have a field recording from my metal shop. Um, there's some welding, grinding, drilling, and a whiff of drowned out classic rock. Wow. Okay. Um, Thank you for cool. that. Cool. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. I wonder, I don't know if I can make a connection between Instagram and metal shops but oh yeah the, grinding people it love the grinding and drilling. photos of like in the oh, studio yeah yeah right yeah like if there's sparks flying let's get some slow motion video of that posted on instagram yeah. <laughs> uh thank you so much mitch uh thanks for those that did send in field recordings we have a few uh that got sent in this week um so we have uh, you know we can we can definitely use more uh, thanks for responding to our call we're still looking for ads. I'll just say, like, one of the reasons we do ads and we're looking for, like, 100 words. Is that our limit, uh, yeah. Ref? 100 words? Is that we want to, we, you know, we spend this whole podcast talking about ourselves and our own point of view. We'd like to share what you all are doing. One thing that's been really inspiring is a lot of you have emailed me over time and Raphael as well that, like, you've been inspired to make work about some of the things we talk about on the show, which is always just amazing. Um, but then like, Hey, we should help promote that work to, uh, close the circuit. Close the loop. Um, but anyway, always wonderful to hear from you. We want to promote you. Please send in ads. Please let us uh, continue sending to everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.